Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Wow. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on here. And I want to just say this. It took us a little bit longer to get on because we've got a specially interesting and amazing show planned for everybody out there. You know, one of the things that I love is what people used to say to me along the way to me being me. They used to call me lucky. There's so many names that they used to reference Uh, They also used to look at me as somebody, and still do to this day, as somebody that believes in the positive aspects of life in, in such a profound way. But that hasn't always been the case for me. Today's show is going to reveal what happens, what happens somewhere along the way to being us, where these insights along the way, right, everybody get ready insights along the way yeah how it takes us on a journey walking the spiritual path today's leaders philip clayton and andrew m davis today the three of us are going to talk about what this means but also i just want you to know the book that i have in front of me is amazing this is an anthology of spiritual memoirs how i found god in everyone and everywhere. We're going to talk about the book, but we're going to talk about what this, what I like to say is a new narrative that may be developing in the world we live in today that may be as ancient as it gets. But I'm not the expert in this field. These two gentlemen are. Uh, Andrew is a philosopher, theologian, scholar of world religions. He holds degrees in, and this is what I love about this, philosophy and theology, and interreligious studies. One, the Claremont School of Theology's Award for Excellence in Biblical Studies in 2013 and was awarded a fellowship at Auschwitz for the study of professional ethics in 2017. Philip, philosopher of religion and science, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I just said that, whose work focuses on the intersection of science, ethics, and society. He holds an Ingram chair at Claremont School of Theology and serves on the faculty of Claremont Graduate University. I used to do that too. And he has many, many, many books. One of them is The Predicament of Belief. I love this too. I just love this. And today, guess what? You ever heard of the story about what happens when you lift the veil? That's what today's show is about. Welcome to both of you. Great to have you here, each of you. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Dr. you for having us. So I want to start out with a question that has nothing to do with the books and probably has very little to do with what we said we were going to talk about. But it's a question that I've been asking 15 years. Um, and I happened to start this in 2003, right after I finished graduating from Claremont. And... Um, here I was completely depressed. Now, why would I be depressed? I just graduated Claremont, graduated with my dissertation, won awards, my postdoctorate, won awards. Why would I be depressed? Well, I was kind of depressed because I studied the consequences of broken promises for eight years. So it actually had nothing to do with my life. But what happened was I had an awakening and my awakening I believe, was spiritually guided. Here's my question for each of you, and I think we're going to start with Andrew first. Given everything I've just said about you, and probably a whole lot of things I haven't said, Mm. I'd love to know from each of you, what are some of the challenges, what are some of the obstacles that each of you had to overcome 
to bring you to this very moment? Yeah, thank you, uh, Dr. Pat. That's a, that's a really great question. I think you spoke there to, to the sense in which our own personal experience is intimately wedded to, to our spiritual path. So I'd say certainly for me in, in my doctoral work, there's a number of different things that I could list, but just to give a couple you know, one would be the uncertainty of life transition. And this is something, a mm. theme that's going to be central to a lot of the authors uh, of the book we'll be discussing. But for me, it was, you know, which path is the best? I always had an interest uh, in the cosmos, in the larger sort of philosophical and religious and spiritual questions. But there's a lot of different ways that could play out. So one question was that of uh, intellectual curiosity. In what format do I uh, see myself working most effectively in thinking through these things? And I found out early on that, that I'm a people person and that I, I love to be discussing these these questions of personal experience of spirituality publicly and in the classroom. I think this book uh, fleshes out, uh, you know, one of those personal elements of my own being in, in a very real way. Yeah. Oh, wow. And we're going to get into that a little bit, too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, we're going to have so much fun today. Philip, how about you? It's actually a really personal question, if I'm going to be yeah. fair about what you just asked. Yeah. And so I've, I've been thinking, what were those challenges? Probably the first one was religious orthodoxy. I'd been told you had to believe in God in a certain way, and that was like an albatross hanging around my neck. I couldn't get rid of it. As an intellectual, I was controlled by my brain, and I had to learn to set my brain aside and let my heart reemerge. That was mm -hmm. a really big challenge for me. I would mm -hmm. say that I had a lack of self-understanding. I didn't know who I was. To put it pretty dramatically, I was brainwashed by a particular conservative religious tradition. And to be really honest, I think at the bottom is a lack of courage. I think we know who we are, and I think we know where we should go. And sometimes we just don't have the courage to roll up our sleeves and go do it. Mm. You know, I, I'm so glad we're starting out like this because I think the three of us have a few things in common. It, you, you know, I, I think, I, I look, I, I'm somebody that got thrown out of Catholic boarding school at age six. <laughs> that's, that's hard to do, Dr. Pat. <laughs> I'm just saying, I just wanted to start out by saying that because, I mean, what the heck do you have to do? Well, I violated rule number one. I talked to God. I talked to Jesus. And I told the mother superior that I did. And and come to find out what was shared with me was the fact that, you know, I looked at the station of the cross, the ninth station. Mm -hmm. And I was looking over there. And I'm six years old. And all I heard was a little voice said, your mother is with me. Mm. Your mom is with me. And you know, look, that turned into the reality of being dragged off to Mother Superior by my ear, by the way. Oh, and, wow. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it, you know, she's talking to Jesus again. And Mother, she, Mother Superior had a note in her hand. My mother had just committed suicide. And so this is really the conversation that I want to have about how we find our pathway how we look at our life, our life's events, and stay true to ourselves. And thank you both for answering that question. I've been asking that question for 15 years. Um, how I found God in everyone and everywhere is, is a book that I absolutely love. Because I can say today, for me in my life, this is the way I live it, but not perfectly. Is it okay is it okay, question to each of you, to live that spiritual life, even if it's not perfect? And let's start with you, Philip, this time. Sure. What I love about the spiritual life is it doesn't accept somebody else's standard of perfection. Mm -hmm. What your uh, teacher and Mother Superior brought were not the standards of, of your perception of truth in the experience of the greatest tragedy a child could ever go through. Some people find the opening up at the end of a long path. For me, for example, and many of the authors in this incredible collection, it's that you're somewhere spiritually, and you have to circle back and find that starting point of innocence, of naivete, as if for the first time. That mm. going back to what I knew as a child, and 
recovering out of an orthodox controlling world that was that was for me the powerful thing yeah i think it's beautifully put phil and i think dr pat maybe one of the themes here for me certainly as well is this notion of deconstruction yeah and, and even ambiguity so a lot of us begin with a certain uh, religious rearing we've been given in our youth and through a variety of different life experiences it might be you know medical diagnosis it might be these uncertain transitions and it might be various dark nights we, we might call them you know we we have a deconstructive phase and this often for many authors is is a place of discouragement doubt challenge but in different ways um, these different authors have pushed through um, into something deeper, a deeper mode of orientation towards the world, a deeper understanding of the spiritual life, and also God as the sort of centering, orienting piece of that life. Yeah, can I just say something to you both about this book? And and and, and my, look, I've been 15 years doing this, uh, dialed a wrong phone number and didn't hang up. And by the way, I'm from New York. I mean, I did go to Claremont, but I was born in the Bronx in New York. And I don't know if you know anything about people from New York, but we don't we don't dial wrong phone numbers and then not hang up. (laughs) And and within it, within 10 minutes, I pulled out a credit card and I bought an hour of airtime for three months, an hour a week on an Internet only station in 2003. Wow! Now, I got to tell you, my life is full of things like that. And I know that has nothing to do with logic. It has to do with what I believe, you know, in the laws of the universe, God, spirit, whatever, whatever I feel like calling it that day. But here's what I want to say about your book. I've interviewed close to 9,000 people. I've read as many books. I'm somebody that has a learning disability, as many of the faculty at Claremont might tell you. (laughs) (laughs) But in the end, what you've done in this book is you've brought forth people that are talking about this pathway, talking about God in ways that I've not seen uh, done before. And what I mean is they may not be people that uh, the general population knows about, but the conversations are really profound. Let me give you an example, and let's start with this one here. And I think Benny will skip the break. I was really struck by and went back and read this particular chapter, I think three times, the entangled God of my heart, the Mm. entangled God of my heart. And you're probably thinking, why would she do something like that? (laughs) But it's not the only uh, memoir. It's not the only story in here. It's not the only, you know, notion in the book that I did that to uh, Mm -hmm. or did that with. But can we talk about this for a minute? You know, as I went through this, I was struck by many, many, many things. Um, and especially the idea of Christ mysticism. And I would love to have each of you weigh in on this particular uh, this particular chapter, just to kind of kick it off here if we could. Who would like to go first? Sure. Yeah, Dr. Pat, I'll, I'll jump right in. Okay. So, so this is one of my favorite chapters. I certainly agree with you there. And this is uh, the chapter by Elia Delio. She is the yeah. chair of theology at Villanova University. And the reason I lo- love this as uh, one of the most you know insightful chapters of the book is because of this amazing transition she had. So here is uh, Dr. Delio, Sister Elia Delio, on the track to a very lucrative career in the sciences, about to do a postdoc at Hopkins, when all of a sudden she has this, this really she describes as a type of undeniable lure to become a shoeless Carmelite nun. You know, and this is, this is no easy transition, of course, to move from uh, someone who has a sort of scientific uh, and rational brain on the one hand, and then have this deep sort of mystical calling in a sense to something of uh, huge transition. And you wonder what's going on there. So I think for her, the, this mystical sort of calling or experience was something that she couldn't deny. She describes it as being something that if she were to deny it, she'd be denying her own being. And I think it's just an incredible transition for her. Yeah. And by the way, you know, I mean, as we're looking at this, I'm going to make sure people have lots of information about both of you and how to get a copy of the book. Um mm-hmm. 
Do you think it was a little bit odd here, a little bit, Philip? Do you think it was a little bit odd for me to single this particular chapter out? <laughs> no. It, uh, it's that the mystical Christ is the hidden secret of Christianity. In some ways, maybe it's greatest contribution across mm-hmm. the world. We got this external Christ in Catholic practice and in Protestant practice and Biblicism, the one who's coming back in judgment, and he is pissed. We lost the most yeah. beautiful language of the New Testament, which is this Greek phrase, in Christo, in Christ, used some 93 times in the epistles. In Christ is a mystical state. It's being within truth. It's being permeated truth, like a, like a fish swimming in the water. And I think that's the first sentence, the first phrase that maybe opens up whole new vistas of permission of your own spiritual path. Beautiful. You know, if I could come back on that too, yeah, Phil, please. one of the a huge theme that's really uh, seen in all these chapters is this notion that, and this is something, in fact, that Matthew Fox, he's a spiritual theologian here in uh, yeah. the Bay Area, something that he learned from B. Griffiths. B. Griffiths was a, a, a Swami priest. He was one who was so influential in terms of integrating uh, Hindu and Christian insights in terms of mysticism. But Fox talks about that with spirituality, experience precedes concepts. You know, and, and what that means in brief is that before we, uh, you know, build up religious or spiritual systems with ideas, concepts, doctrines, creeds, there's that underlining primal experience that so many of these authors speak of and how that remains fundamental for them. I think of your story, Dr. Pat, that you told this, this notion that you, you hear this, this voice, right, this experience yeah. you have. And, and maybe that doesn't fit into orthodox categories or the categories that the uh, the leaders of, of uh you know, your world there at the time uh, would allow. But that's this experience that sometimes is more than any of our concepts can adequately describe. Yeah. You know, let me ask you about this question, too, because there are so many stories uh, in this book, and each of them are so very different than anything that I've really read. Um, I've, of course, I've interviewed Deepak Chopra, and and actually Matthew Fox was on not too long ago. Um, Okay. But the thing that I want to ask you, is there one of these that I'd like to hear from each of you, which one did you did you get when and and then you read and you thought, oh, oh, that did you have one of those moments in the positive sense, Dr. Pat, or the negative sense? Oh, you know what? I'm going to let you pick. (laughs) Well. What was, for me, a glorious chapter with Cynthia Bourgeau. I'm sure you know Cynthia from yeah. being in the same circles. She is a writer, an artist as a writer, a painter yeah. as a writer with her words, like almost nobody I've seen. And she shook the whole book by saying, you know, God is just this thing around me. And I'm, I don't know if I've got a transcendent part. I don't know if I, I like the way that, you know, this panentheism way that, gets described elsewhere, but I find in the moment, in the shimmering light, in the garden and the flowers below my fingers, that mm. which is divine. And that caught me, it brought me up short. It just And still the beauty, can you hear it? The beauty of that chapter still sort yeah. of comes alive. It brings goosebumps even now. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I would point, I love Cynthia's chapter, you know, Dr. Pratt, I would point also to, to Keith Ward, who is a theologian and philosopher, former uh, Regis Professor of Divinity at Oxford, you know, and he talks about God as not uh, not a being out there somewhere that that one can argue about as as if whether a guy in the sky can exist or, or not exist. This is sort of the popular understanding of God, but he speaks much more about this all inclusive uh, conception that that the question of God, in a sense, for for him and for many of these authors is a question as to the deepest nature and character of the reality we're already inhabiting and participating in now. And that's something you, you don't necessarily argue about. It, you, you assume in a way, but you, you wonder how best to name it. And so this imminent inclusive notion in both Cynthia's and, and Ward's chapter, I think, are two beautiful representations of that sort of orientation. You know, I, I want to ask you this question um, here is that I was introduced to a phrase Oh, a couple of decades ago, let's say. And the phrase was, um, God is everything or God is nothing. God either is or God isn't. What Mm -hmm. will I choose? 
And that profoundly changed my life, not just that phrase, but the introduction and how it was introduced to me. You mm. know, God is either God is everything or God is nothing. God either is or God isn't. And mm. and and what I realized today is that um, my life and the way I live my life has taken a profound shift, not by what I studied or what I read or the books, but by the by the seriously, I would say, traumatic series of events in my life. And, you know, I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, I had gone through a lot in my life, but nothing physical, like my body was always the rock. Mm. And then six months after saying yes to this, I came down with a mystery disease. Mm. And I'm alive today, I believe, because of my willingness to really explore and live by the phrase, God is everything. And it doesn't mean that it's the same version of God every day, which I find very liberating for me. Mm. What is, in your opinion, and, and, and in what you've experienced by writing this book, what would you say is a contemporary theme for how we invite spirituality and God into our lives today. Sure. Dr. Um, I have to jump into on that one because I actually think it is, it's the dividing line in what I'm going to call the two faces of religion or the two faces of spirituality. Mm-hmm. The one is the God who uh, loves in this kind of abstract sense for God to love the world, um, yeah. but loves a very specific thing which is good for the presence of, you know, the values of this God, and judges the rest. This is a God who, when somebody sins, has to pull away a little bit, so he, I'm going to say that on purpose, he won't Mm -hmm. be sullied by their sin. I would say the biggest single transformation in my life was realizing that whatever the divine was, it didn't have to be afraid of evil. I mean, I can't go to certain places because I would be corrupted. But the divine can absolutely be present with wherever the greatest evil, the greatest desire to damage, the greatest ego, and obviously the greatest suffering. When you let the divine be in everyone and everywhere, you have a completely different paradigm for your spiritual life. Beautifully put. You know, I think uh, if I can connect that to Rabbi Bradley Artson, who is a very influential rabbi here in the L.A. area, his his chapter and his story, I think, Dr. Pratt, is similar to the experience you described. Here is someone who uh, is is raised uh, as an atheist in San Francisco and who in his early childhood is dealing with a very serious uh, and, and uh, so difficult this, this, uh, cancer diagnosis. Uh, and he is struggling through what this means. He, he enters a certain spiritual vision and understanding of God, as Phil describes, which is one that is all-controlling, one that is in the know, as it were, to what's happening everywhere and in different people's lives. And so he has this different struggle. And later on, his son is diagnosed with autism, and this problem of evil is this centering element for him. Uh, But he comes to realize that far from being exterior to his spiritual path, that this difficult time is actually central to it. It's actually an important part that lays stepping stones to his understanding of God and how that changes, a God that's intimate, present, and even suffering with uh, the world and its pain. Wow. You know, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to give a copy of the book away. And the book I'm referring to is, it's an anthology of spiritual memoirs. But I, I wanted to say to all of you out there, um, I don't I don't ever recall reading a book that had such amazing amazing perspectives in it in one book uh and by the way for those of you out there probably from some folks you've not heard from before and that's why i really am excited about this how i found god in everyone and everywhere when we come back i want to make sure you have information about andrew and about philip and we will give a copy of the book away uh the other thing i want to say to everyone out there is Look, if you've got questions for us, you've got questions for yourself, if there's something you want to explore today with us on air, you've got, the, you've got our live call-in number, 
1-800-930-2819. And for those of you that listen on your smartphones, you want to ask a question online, just go to transformationtalkradio.com and type your question in and we will get them on air. Let's take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. Join Jennifer Noel Taylor on the hit show, Quantum Touch Radio, supercharging your life on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You'll take a quantum journey as we reveal powerful yet simple steps to create more abundance, better health, emotional and mental vibrancy, and happier relationships using universal quantum touch principles. For more information, visit JenniferNoelTaylor.com. Demystifying the journey on From Here to There Radio with your host, Diane Garris. Tune in every third Wednesday, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on TransformationTalkRadio.com as Diane helps you get from where you are now to the life you envision. Get ready to get unstuck and move forward. Every show features a new special segment, New Age Notes, demystifying hot metaphysical topics of the day. For more information or to work with Diane, visit DianeGarris.com. Are you looking for the perfect setting for your next workshop or retreat? At Spirit Fire Meditative Retreat Center, cultivating consciousness is what we do best. Our guests count on us to create an atmosphere that supports serenity and well-being. We lead from the heart and create space for the mind. Freshly prepared meals designed with local and organic ingredients, 95 acres of beautiful woods and pastures, and a facility built with green in mind. This is what you'll find at Spirit Fire. For more information, visit SpiritFireRetreatCenter.com. Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit jenroyster.com for more information. Would you like your next chapter to be free from fear and angst? Tune in to Your Next Chapter Radio, navigating through life's transitions with Shelley Ryan the fourth Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Shelley's contagious enthusiasm guides you through life's transitions deliberately, mindfully, and funnily. For Your Next Chapter Coaching or to listen, visit YourNextChapterCoaching.com or call 602-617-8351. Next! High-frequency healing for an amazing life with Source Light Radio. Join host Laura Barton each month on Transformation Talk Radio as she explores source light integration, a unique spectrum of energy, light, and frequency. Experience instantaneous healing and amazing shifts in consciousness with Source Light Integrations Radio. For more information on Laura and her work, visit SourceLightIntegrations.com. Oh my gosh, welcome back everyone, welcome back. And for those of you just tuning in, I want to make sure you know that um, when I said how I found God in everyone and everywhere, I'm talking about this fabulous book I have in my hands. Uh, The authors, Andrew M. Davis and Philip Clayton, and what I want to say about this book is it truly does have in it perspectives that I think you will find fascinating, insightful, as well as transformative. I mean, there are folks in this book that have contributed that are saying things in a way that are so profoundly relevant to the day and age we live in, and yet they are saying it in ways that every one of us can understand. Um, and, and, And I'll tell you exactly what I mean here in a minute, but before I do, can, can you all, um, first of all, how can folks find out more about each of you? Um, and let's give them your websites. Let's start off there. Andrew, why don't you start first and then Philip, you and just let folks know how they can find out more about you. Absolutely. Yeah, I've recently launched a, a website with more information about me, some of my research and papers and then upcoming events. And so it'll be wonderful for people to stay tuned to. And that address is andrewmdavis.info. So that can be uh, that can be an orienting point for those who want more information. 
Yeah, I love the video. I love the whole cloud thing. I did my meditation staring at your screen today. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Philip, Philip, how about you? The thing about uh, authors and public speakers is uh, we don't have a private thought. So uh, I'm, I appear on the Internet. If you just search Google, uh, philipclayton.net yep. on a website, all over YouTube, uh, there's a channel. So um, yep. I'll be easy to track down. Uh, totally easy to track down. And yet it'll take me a lifetime to pretty much read everything you've written. I think, you know, I, I don't think I have that uh, that many years left to be able to do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, thank you. And Benny, I'd love to give a copy of the book away if we could. Um, let's do that to our first caller, 1-800-930-2819, 1-800-930-2819. And then also, um, can you tell folks where they can get a copy of the book, available everywhere? Absolutely. So Amazon will be the go-to go point for, for many people. It'll be released just in a few days, as well as different uh, spiritual or metaphysical bookshops, whether in the Bay or in Seattle. And also directly from Monkfish Book Publishing Company. You search them on Google, they'll have a, a book there certainly that they can send you. Thank you. Um, okay, so I want to jump to uh, uh, Matthew Fox, his section for a minute, uh, what he wrote. And, you know, there's a paragraph uh, that he, he wrote. And, and one of the things he says, I just want to pull this out for a minute. He says, for God is simply everywhere as is the experience of God, as we have seen. God is truly Emmanuel, God with us. Mm. All are bathed in God. All to believe this is to be. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I want to talk about this particular writing, if we could. Sure. Because, it, as someone said to me, one of my mentors um, a woman who took people out into the high desert in California on Vision Quest said to me, so simple, yet so difficult, Pat. So simple and so difficult. So she's, by the way, referring to me. So simple, Pat, but yet so difficult for you. And I want to get your, your, uh, your, your, your feeling from it. Is, is, is that notion just what I read there, and also what both of you have written and have have, have spoken about? Is it so simple? Hmm. Phil, do you want to begin on that one? Yeah. <laughs> 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 what What resonates inside me, Dr. Pat, when you say that is that's actually the truth. So simple and so difficult is what I think each one of us encounters in the unfolding of our spiritual life. There was a great story when I was a conservative Christian of the person coming up to the gate uh, of heaven, and all she has to do is walk through there. Right? And so she, she looks up at the sign, and it says, whosoever will may enter. And so she walks through, and then she looks back, and it says, only those who, and then there are these conditions. I think when I faced a breakthrough, giving up the God of judgment was so mm -hmm. difficult. It took me 20 years of my life to realize that the God didn't have to be the one who said, you're sinful, you're awful. And as soon as I let that go, and I began to expand into that freedom space, I thought, so simple. I could have dropped that years ago. So difficult and simple, difficult first, simple second, to me that's the equation. Mm, beautifully put. And, you know, just to comment on Matthew Fox's chapter, I do think that, you know, this is a sort of historical look back at his teaching and what he's uh, been emphasizing and teaching for so many years. And at the heart of it is, is that transition from this, this popular understanding of the God of theism, which is out there somewhere, or, uh, you know, uh, a, a monarchical understanding, a king-like representation of God, and anthropomorphic, which is a fancy way of saying this is that we're dealing with a human-like being, as it were. But Fox's chapter really makes clear, perhaps more than, than many of the other ones, that panentheism, this is, and this is a fancy word that many don't know, but many are also coming to know, is, this, is the heart of a lot of spiritual wisdom. And for him, being a, an advocate of the mystical uh, depths of traditions, this vision is essential, this notion that 
we are within and already participating within the divine at this moment. And that the divine mutually is within us as well, animating the world, not from the outside, but from within. And while this is an, an ancient notion, it's, it's a notion that perhaps we've lost in the development of, say, the Enlightenment, the scientific uh, revolution in different ways where we begin to think of an exterior deity rather than, as Paul would say in the New Testament, that in whom we live and move and have our being. I think Fox's chapter is a really beautiful representation of that entire vision, this panentheistic notion. Everything is within God. And uh, You know, there are a couple of choice points, I think, that I've had in my life. You know, some people call them crossroads. Some people call them milestones. Um, my friend, Dr. Gene Houston, referred to them from time to time as tipping points. And, but they're those moments. They're those moments where you know you're on the threshold. You know that there is something that that next step, taking that next step, just like you described, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in, in the gates, that next step you take in your life will forever change you. My mom used to say to me, it isn't just those steps, Pat. It's every step you take forever changes you. There are no experiences that are the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, now this is a woman that had her first child at 12, second one at 13, never finished high school. And yet at the same time, you know, there is such wisdom that I, I, I gained from, from her. And I want to ask you this. Do we live our lives looking forward or do we live our lives looking backward? Mm. Or or neither. Isn't that a choice? Isn't that one of those life choices that we <laughs> decide every day? I think you can see it in the eyes and the wrinkles of people as they age. The mm. ones who spend their time looking backward bitterly over the wrongs that were committed to them, they have those downward lines and that mm. furrowed brow, the lines between the eyes. And the ones who look at the moment and the future and wonder what miracles can happen today as I get out of bed, they're the ones whose lines move upward and the smile lines begin become positive creases on their face. And you know, and you say to yourself, I know how she's lived. <laughs> Beautifully put. I think maybe in a sense it's you looking back to look forward in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Or that there's a deep sense in which we're formed by our past. Uh, our personal experience and, and sort of that spiritual path that's been rooted in that experience, which may be very difficult in certain ways, but that in the sense the future is that open mode of possibility where the, where the past does not have to dictate the future. The future, in fact, transforms and, 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 and offers new ways of being not lynched to the past itself. I think that's important to see. Um, I want to ask you each this question. Um, how would you describe the way you live your life today, spiritually? Mm. And is it different than the way you've lived your life spiritually in the past? <laughs> to the second question, most emphatically. Um, <laughs> as somebody who can write books that nobody can understand, when I talk the nuances of quantum <laughs> physics and the nuances of you know, Hindu cosmology, um, I find that the spiritual life is the quest for the simple, the quest to take off layers. It's like winter coats, you know, the old guy with the six winter coats on, and to shed and to shed and to shed until sort of naked I can walk into that water again. Then Mm. the, the becoming naive again, I think with every year and decade, becomes more important. It makes me think of that beautiful quote from T.S. Eliot, you probably know, um, I'll, but I'll say it because it resonates of what I think is the, new, the newer things I'm grasping in my spiritual life. He writes, We shall not cease from exploration, and in the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. In fact, that's a quote that emerges from our book as well. It sort of uh, you know, encapsulates what that primary theme. Uh, you know, I've come to see that Increasingly, I used to be confused by the word spirituality. I didn't know what it meant, in a sense. Uh, but I've come to see that the, the spiritual way is that interior path. It's that interior way wherein one asks and perhaps 
even endeavors to answer some of life's most perennial themes. And then from those answers develops a kind of orientation towards the world and towards how they experience the world. So I would say for me, it's become much more experiential. It's been much more or imaginative that we are already participating in what the, the hub of the spiritual life now. It's not waiting for something later or something outside of us, but something in the midst of which we're already present. Mm. I, I want to ask you each this question uh, uh, as well. Um, I found myself in some, uh, I think, really super interesting situations in, in my life when it comes to God, spirituality, religion. You know, remember, I met, I, I, I'm the one Catholic boarding school, but then my dad remember, remarries, remarries a Southern Baptist. And so that's my stepmom. And so, you know, here we are, chitlins and spaghetti for dinner. But, <laughs> you, you know, I have found myself throughout my life in some wonderfully fascinating and yet confusing situations when it comes for my own personal journey and spirituality. But I'm somebody that never thought that I would find myself standing in front of a room, being asked to speak and being asked to be an MC with a group of people from Iran who were of the Baha'i faith, a faith I didn't even understand. I, I didn't even know that that existed mm -hmm. as the Baha'i uh, women in Iran were being killed and persecuted for educating people. And here I am, this girl from the Bronx, from PS14, experiencing surreal moments. Being on air with both of you is one of those moments. Oh, you know, you. they really are. I mean, I never thought in my life for one minute that my life would be that of having a conversation with two other Claremont alums talking about religion, spirituality, and some of the most incredible perspectives in the world. Yeah. I want to ask each of you, can you point to at least one of those moments that you've had where you've said, I'm having a surreal experience with I'd my own personal perspective, and I'd love to know if you've had any of those. Yeah, I love that. I love that question. It makes me think that the spiritual is just what's wrong, what's impossible, what you think could not be happening now. The breakdown, deconstruction of things that you believed before. Three pop into my mind. The experience of being in a Catholic chapel in Paris where a nun had had incredible visions from the Virgin and had never told anyone, even the Pope. And I knew that God was male, and Jesus was male, and I presumed the Holy Spirit was male. But kneeling down on those steps, I was just filled with the feminine presence of God, which I didn't believe in. And after this vision left, I wept for 45 minutes and realized mm. that I had not known that nature of God. I remember walking the Zen uh, road outside of Tokyo, which leads for miles and miles through a forest to the ocean with a Zen temple every half a mile or a mile, and going in actually in the middle of a divorce and feeling that guilt, and sitting to practice Zazen at these different altars, and realizing that the greatest message from God, Zen wouldn't say that, but I'll put those words on it, was, it's okay, it's mm -hmm. okay, it's okay. And finally, I have the privilege of speaking to a number of Muslim groups, um, uh, and during uh, Ramadan at the Iftar dinners around the United States. Mm -hmm. And when I would walk through the audience with a microphone and let one of 300 Muslims and their guests speak, and I realized that I was learning about the God that in my Christian tradition was revealed in a certain way, insights about that God from people from a different tradition that humbled and would humble Christian pastors and theologians from around the world. Mm. Crazy, wow. Phil, you, you, you speak as you write. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, I would say is that for me, I, I was raised certainly on my mother's side, a more conservative evangelical home. And, and, I, and I hold to those, to those uh, values and, and I take a lot from that still. But my father's side was much more intellectually inclined. He was an agnostic leaning towards 
towards atheism. I remember coming up being so interested in the deeper questions and wondering how the intellects could sort of grasp them. I remember at one point, having studied abroad, I did this program called Semester at Sea, where I literally was able to go around the world and being confronted with the diversity, the pluralism of religious traditions, which is both something you've recently just brought up here, and wondering how, how do I develop a worldview wherein all of these perspectives can fit. And it's not as if they're all saying the same thing, certainly. Uh, they're not, but there's deep resonances between traditions. And I remember being on the semester at sea ship, looking off into the, the, the Indian countryside, wondering how that might work. And I realized as I my master's degree in interreligious studies and now the PhD work in religion has mm -hmm. been a sort of uh, a centerpiece of that, realizing that the trajectory of my early questions as a youngster have been fleshed out now. And in this book in particular, we, you know, there's different uh, perspectives, different religious perspectives offered. Um, not all of them are from the Judeo-Christian perspective. I think that's an, important for us to see. We have a Hindu voice, a Buddhist voice, a Jewish voice represented as well. But for each of these authors, none of their journeys have been religiously monolithic. That is just, mm. you know, they haven't been within only one tradition. Often Rupert Sheldrake, for example, is, is studying Hindu spirituality and practicing Sufi Islamic mysticism. So the sense in which I realize that religious belongings are perhaps never uh, monolithic in the sense of being just within one tradition, that the walls of religious systems are often translucent. I think the journeys of, of this book are interesting in showing how that can be the case, that we're always influenced in different ways by perspectives that are outside of our own. And we can learn much from that. I, I, I want to ask you, I know that uh, this hour goes by so quickly. Um, I want to ask you this question. Does the time that we live in shape spirituality, spiritual principles, religion, or does religion, spirituality shape the times we live in? Beautiful question. There must be a both and, but I'm going to pick the first poll of your are products of a movement from a much more doctrinal and narrow Christianity to an open spirituality that embraces the world as it is. We know from data across the United States that that's the movement of so many people in this country and overseas as well. That means that things are available to us now. I'm going to say radically personal growth, spiritual discoveries are available that weren't possible in those, <laughs> those churches with the pews and the programs and the red sermons and the old songs from these books with organs playing. Nothing against any of those. But, uh, and here's, here's what I think it offers us. It offers us the spiritual Christ that you mentioned before, Dr. And mm -hmm. the other thing I think it offers us, Muslims, Jews, and Christians together, is Rabbi Jesus, the homeless, shoeless, wandering teacher up and down the dusty roads of Galilee, who was the rebel, as, uh, uh, as the song puts it, who was the one who wouldn't fit in categories and would meet each person eye to eye with acceptance, a woman at the well, a woman caught in adultery. That simple spiritual presence located in one person without the clothing and pretenses of a, of a tradition known to be true, that's one of the gifts of this spiritual transformation. Mm. I want to say this and, and ask you for your final comments. So, first of all, thank you both for joining me here today. Um, I, um, I really, truly, it's an honor to uh, have you both and have this conversation with you today. And, um, and for you to be writing a book that I think is so absolutely insightful and helps us carve out our own perspective and make our own choices on how we're going to live and what we're going to believe. And uh, last thing I want to say is that I like to follow this Pope. Now, uh, you know, I'm not uh, necessarily a practicing Catholic today, but I like to follow this Pope. Um, changing the catechism, a lot of people are like, oh, no, did he just do that? Yes, he did. 
uh, writing an article for the advocate, LGBTQ comments, so much. And I thought in my lifetime, never, ever going to happen. I want to ask you each this question. I know we've got about three minutes left. What would you like to see changed if you could each pick one thing? Andrew? Sure. You know, I, I think given my context and my community, my religious rearing, I would go back, I think, to the interreligious question. And here is the focus mm. of my, my master's degree as well, is that I'd like to see from my, the, my own ancestral tradition within Christian faith a more openness to the wisdom to the truths, to the insights of different religious perspectives. I've found that it's really quite difficult to actually know your own tradition without knowing, in some sense, the wisdom of others. And it's a way of not only deepening your own tradition, but deepening your respect for the wisdom of others' traditions. So I think mine would be a pluralistic emphasis that we need to embrace other religious traditions. Thank you. Dr. Pat, let the walls let the damn walls fall. We've had too much locking ourselves in buildings side by side called Christ, uh, called church, mosque, temple. And yeah. I just think it's time to knock down those walls and let it stand up. We, in the emerging church, we use the phrase, you used to have to believe right, and then you behaved according to the laws of that belief, and then you were allowed to belong. They gave you the, the wafer and, and the grape juice. And I think it's time to us to, re- to reverse those. Let's belong in the family of woman and man together, the, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. earth that we live upon. Let's make that belonging and interdependence first. Then let's behave as community calls us to behave, as the earth screams out for us to behave. Let's let community teach us what behavior is. Let's share spiritual practices across traditions. Let's be knocked flat by the wisdom of a Buddhist teacher, the ancient mm-hmm. wisdom of a Jewish mystic. And then let's let the belief sort, it out, sort itself out for itself. Let's stop making that the wall and just let it go. Wow. Thank you both for joining me here today. Thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate each of you and and really, your gift and what you're bringing to all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Thank you. Pat, for having us. Wow. I want to thank all of you for tuning us in, turning us on. Please keep an eye out for this book. It is coming. It's going to be here in a couple of days. How I Found God in every, Everyone and Everywhere. It's an anthology of spiritual memoirs. And you just heard it from Andrew M. Davis and Philip Clayton. And as I said before, I want to thank all of you for tuning us in, turning us on. Benny. Thank you for pushing all the right buttons. And uh, again, such an honor to be with my very special guest. We'll see you next time. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.